0: Hey, this is Michael Dermer from Lonely Entrepreneur, and I just had a, a great time with Ryan on the World of Speakers, and really talked about how you know your communication skills are as important as any other when you're an entrepreneur trying to make it. So check it out, and thanks so much for having me. Welcome to the World of Speakers podcast, brought to you by Speaker Hub. In each episode, we interview a professional speaker and reveal their very best tips and tricks. You'll learn to improve your presentation skills, keep your audience engaged, and learn how to grow your business to get more gigs and make more money. Here's your host, Ryan Foland.
1: All right, everybody, we are back for another episode, and this time we have Michael Dermer. Michael, he may seem like a lonely entrepreneur, but he is not. He has lots of friends, and he helps lots of people learn how to cope with dealing with the fact that entrepreneurs are lonely at the end of the day. But uh, I'm excited to hear more about how lonely entrepreneurs can become. Uh, entrepreneurs to become more successful, to then get more friends and things like that. <laughs> Is that about right, Michael? <laughs> Sounds great, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Well, why don't you tell us about you know, your story to the stage? How did it all start? You know, where did you grow up and, and how did the speaking element fit into the big picture for you and your journeys, both up and down?
0: Sure. Uh, You know, I was a corporate lawyer in New York City where I'm from uh, doing mergers and acquisitions, Um, but I was really an entrepreneur at heart and wanted to start a business. So in the early 2000s, I started what got to be known as the first company to reward people for being healthy. It was a healthcare technology company in the early 2000s, left my cushy law firm job to do that and, you know, bootstrapped it like a lot of entrepreneurs spent the better part of the, you know, the 2000s, you know, uh, evangelizing the concept to the healthcare community. So that certainly wasn't, you know, speaking the traditional sense, Ryan, but as you can imagine, we were always out there speaking and talking and pitching and trying to get some of the most, you know, kind of old school companies in the country to think about healthcare differently. We had built that company up to about 400 employees by 2008, venture capital backed. And even after kind of making it, quote unquote, my company almost got destroyed virtually overnight by the 2008 financial crisis. And, you know, we spent the next two years battling and scrapping and clawing, and we're fortunate enough after those two years to kind of stabilize it. And at that time in the United States here, there was a great interest in healthcare and changing behavior, and we got an offer and we got bought. And it worked out wonderfully financially for investors. And I was literally just chilling out in New York City, you know, after a wild ride, And somebody said to me, being an entrepreneur is really lonely. And we were like, wow, there really isn't kind of a go-to resource that gets what you described before, you know, just the struggle of being an entrepreneur and provided solutions. And so we launched that company about a year and a half ago, started with the, the book that you're familiar with, The Lonely Entrepreneur. And we launched an online learning platform, but also spent a lot of time speaking both domestically and internationally to really try to connect with entrepreneurs, you know, kind of that we both share, you know, all of this journey, but then how do you actually provide solutions? So that's where a lot of our, a lot of our speaking efforts have occurred, but that's our long sorted story.
1: (laughs) Now, when you were a kid, were you the proverbial young entrepreneur that was out there slinging, you know, flamethrowers or hovercrafts or
0: You know, Ryan, I was more the captain of the sports team. Okay. So I had played every single sport there was, uh, was on two national teams when I was a kid and played two sports in college. So it was more about being the captain of a team and watching, you know, a a group of, you know, hodgepodge kids come together and actually build something. So that was a little more of my context growing up. But then once I got in high school, that started to connect a little bit on, on businesses and certainly in college. And stuff like that, where we all have our kind of early stage businesses that we started and things like that. So for me, it was about, you know, how you see, you know, try to leading a group of people and a team to try to do something cool together.
1: And what were your sports? What uh, what was your what were your sports that you either played or led on?
0: Um, if there was a ball involved, we pretty much played. So basketball, <laughs> football, soccer, baseball. We swam a little bit. Pretty much everything. Uh, I played baseball at Bucknell University. Got a baseball scholarship and actually walked on and played a little bit of basketball until my my 5'10" frame uh, ended my my career pretty quickly but all team sports you know around you can imagine when you play you know if you're quarterback in football or point guard in basketball or center half in soccer you know or shortstop in baseball you're always thinking about the bigger picture in all those positions that really shaped my my thinking about a lot of things
1: now you say that you've got a a system or a training course for entrepreneurs I know there's a lot of people that are trying to train entrepreneurs. Was there a certain methodology or avenue or approach that you took to really help them understand what it's going to be like to be an entrepreneur?
0: Yeah, I I think so. I think we really, you know, what's interesting about this, Ryan, is I wasn't really looking even to start this business. You know, I had worked hard, sold the company, and was kind of chilling out. And I noticed that there were two things that were missing out there. One was while there was no shortage of great entrepreneur resources, they were kind of disorganized and all over the place. You know, so we're asking an entrepreneur to really digest a lot of information in very disparate places. And then secondly is, you know, the information not only had to be organized into a framework to solve that first problem, but really secondly, it had to be from somebody who quote unquote got it, you know, who's somebody who had actually sat in those shoes, who understands what it's like when somebody says, you know, plop your first business plan down, or you're investing your own money and you're feeling under pressure. So to us, it was really, can you bring it all together in one place under a framework that's easily understood, but that also, along the way, when you're talking about a a financial statement, you know, something very functional, you're also doing it with a bent of uh, what does it actually feel like as an entrepreneur, um, you know, to sit in that shoes with the struggles that we've we've all been through.
1: And in your path, I mean, you've got your your crazy story of sort of the ups and the downs. In the development of your business, how important was your ability to communicate your ideas, your products, and using speaking as a platform within the growth of your company? Because you grew it to, it sounds like quite a bit. I mean, millions of dollars at a certain point in, in revenue, right?
0: Yeah, and we were probably 60 million when we were the biggest. Here's what I would say, Ryan, if you can think about the concept of rewarding people for being healthy in the beginning, not only was that non-existent, it was offensive. Mm. We were basically telling the healthcare industry that they were going to pay people and reward people for the the ones that were doing the worst for their healthcare. So, you know, imagine like a pregnant mom that wasn't following her prenatal care or somebody that was not going to the gym or a diabetic not caring for themselves. So, the ability to communicate that clearly, often in the face of great resistance, and to do it with some of the most kind of entrenched, you know, players in the healthcare industry that where we've been doing the same things here in the U.S. for many, many, many years, the ability to clearly communicate that simply and consistently—what um, I was as important to us as anything, because we really had to evangelize something. That the first time, you know, we brought this concept to some of these players, they were like. The only thing I can tell you is that we will never, ever reward people for being healthy. (laughs) And so the ability to be simple and clear and also consistent over a period of time was absolutely critical to to the success that we had.
1: Now, in a market that hasn't been really explored like that, were there uh, certain approaches that you found worked versus not working when you have this resistance? And I ask because there are a lot of people who are trying to communicate ideas that might be beyond uh, the time right now, or just um, having people in these large industries that have been doing things in a certain way, and they just don't get it. Was there a certain general approach that you learned that worked better than others?
0: Yeah. And, and you know, what's interesting about the entrepreneurial journey is, right, you know, by definition, we all believe we're doing something new. And if we're doing something new, then it faces the circumstances you just mentioned, right? is that it hasn't been done before. And therefore, you know, people are going to say, you know, how do I know this works? For us, we learned pretty quickly that just because something made sense and just because something was clearly communicated didn't mean that it necessarily was going to move, right? And so what we really learned was it was, it was partly about being clear and communicating, but it was partly about influence and leverage. This goes back to my old, you know, I happen to be fortunate enough to go to Northwestern Law School in Chicago, and they're really, really strong in negotiation, and, and so you realize that when you're the little player against the big guys and you're trying to convince something of value, a lot of it uh, comes down to, can you create influence and leverage over the things that actually make them lose sleep at night?
1: Yeah, I like this idea of leverage. It really ties into the concept of knowing your audience. Because if you came in and you're presenting or you're speaking or you're you're even your sales pitch, you're really looking at what is going to keep up keep them up at night. And that's what you're using as the real meat and potatoes of your message from a leverage standpoint.
0: Yeah, especially for young entrepreneurs, right, that are crafting your path in a market where you don't have all the capital you need, you don't have the resources you need, you really have to be able to create these kind of leverage points that give you a little bit of momentum. And then once you have that, then they'll pay attention to why you, what you have is great, but you have to try to create a couple. So it's almost like a, uh, Ryan, like almost like a different form of communication, hmm. just around how you get a little bit of, of influence working in your direction.
1: Now, do you go with a typical sort of, uh, above board, not above board, but just more of a straightforward approach first and then Based on that reaction, you're able to reevaluate, sort of dig down, dig up and see where you can get that traction? Or do you do the research and then come action, you're able to reevaluate or do you have a more, do you do the research and try to come at it first?
0: Yep. Um, You know, I think you have to sprinkle both in, you know, as we all know, large companies take a long time to do things and you always have to have some compelling reason or burning platform for them to move. And oftentimes, you know, we are all fighting, you know, clutter more than anything. And so to break through that clutter, think about why we respond to things when we buy things or respond to, you know, messaging. So I think you have, you always do it respectfully, obviously, but I think you come out with a little bit is what is the value of our solution? And, and secondly, is what is the leverage point or, you know, competitive benefit, competitive risk, revenue benefit, you know, risk if you don't take. So I think you, you try to do a little bit of both because it just, you know, obviously those are the things that, that can move the needle in the end.
1: I like that. It's a very audience-centric approach, but you're really getting to the core of why the audience would want to listen to you. Yep. So let's talk about what you would have for advice for those people, entrepreneurs who are out there cutting their teeth and they're using their communication skills to close deals. They're using their communication skills at a conference to try to earn credibility. What would be your top tips from a presentation standpoint when it comes to speaking and selling? Yep.
0: So I think first and foremost is it's your job as an entrepreneur to bring your skill, not to make things more detailed, but more simple, Mm -hmm. right? Your job is to simplify and clarify, right? It's not to be able to spurt out the history of every element of your product or your service, which obviously we've all lived through those, all that part of it, right? So it's locked in our brain, but a lot of times what happens is we use this analogy at the lonely entrepreneur called your balloon is full right and when your balloon is full right you're looking for places to for that air to go <laughs> so somebody asks you questions and you spurt out the history of everything associated with your company so when you're <clears throat> when you have the opportunity to be on stage whether it's you know, like you and i have done ryan in front of thousands of people or five people at a trade show booth your job is to be able to bring simplicity and clarity to why they care and if you think about when you walk in a car dealership, right? Imagine a salesperson coming up to you and handing you the car manual, right? You'd immediately walk out the door. And,
1: <laughs> right. Nobody likes car manuals. I mean, they're fun to look at, but it's, 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 it's way too much information. Right. They're great paperweights, right? <laughs>
0: but if somebody makes you think about that car and go in your own mind, ooh, that's interesting, you'll read the whole car manual. So especially for entrepreneurs that have lived every single detail of how their product and service got there, your job is actually to make things simple and clear, not only in an audience in a public forum where you might have potential customers and investors there, but even for your own employees, right? And even for your own advisors, you know, you've got to be able to make it simple and concise and clear. And then the details will will follow. And the other thing too is just to Actually apply it to the situation that sits in front of you. Ryan, I don't know if you've ever been in, a, in like a demo day or a Shark Tank type environment where an investor will go to answer, ask a question and the entrepreneur literally can't even wait until the, the investor asks the question before they respond. Yeah, absolutely. Right? We're so wrapped up in our own stuff. And so really understanding that if you have an audience of five people or an audience of 5,000 people really understanding, you know, why they care and how it's relative to them. And obviously, being able to do that uh, simply and clearly becomes, you know, why they stay awake or pay attention, right?
1: Yeah. And I think that this visual you have of an entrepreneur who's sort of jumping the gun on a question, I think that there's this the space in between a question and an answer that's valuable even for the person asking the question Uh, valuable for the audience who might want to sort of take it all in and your brain has to actually process so when you sort of jump the gun you talk over people and i know i'm guilty of this myself in just personal relationships where i think i know what someone's going to say so i'll jump ahead and it ends up that i'm usually completely wrong in the first place so the importance of listening before you talk is key All right, so you've got the audience in mind, and you're not jumping the gun. What advice do you wish you would have gotten from somebody early on that would have helped fast track where you are now?
0: I think uh, specifically with respect to communication, I would say that features and functionalities are rarely what people actually pay attention to. We live, as I said before, in a world of clutter. And when that's the case, it's very hard, even if you have the perfect mousetrap, right for that to cut through it's the special sauce and the know-how you develop along the way that can't just be copied with money right it takes time and experience to learn what it actually takes to do a particular business and i think that sets your your brand and then the content of how you speak to an audience very very differently than if you're talking about a you know a product or a service or a solution
1: are referring to that as somewhat of like your expertise or your 10,000 hours kind of concept? Or is it the way in which you're communicating to really exude that that information?
0: You know, Ryan, it's interesting, really all the above. So for example, in the old, I'll use my old incentive business, we used to say things like, you know, if you didn't track these incentives right, and you didn't give them away, right, all these bad things would happen, you know, legal things and customer things. And and we would say things like, you don't want to end up on the front page of the Wall Street Journal for the wrong reasons. Mm. And, and so a lot of it is, well, what do you mean by that? How could that possibly happen? And you'd say, well, if you didn't have the right you know, technology or business rules to manage this particular circumstance. And so it goes beyond just, quote, unquote, you know, experience, right? Because if you and I launched a new company tomorrow, we'd have a line on there that said experience, right? it gets a lot closer to the 10,000 hours, right? Because you're you're learning insights. It's almost like, you know, when you drive to work the same way every day, you know when the traffic affects you and the weather affects you. And, and so you're bringing that to the table and trying to make people perceive your brand as one that brings that intelligence to life. But it has to go beyond just kind of the general words of, you know, knowledge and know-how and expertise and start to approach the types of things you get when you do have 10,000 hours and you know kind of where all the, where all the bodies are buried.
1: And is a way to communicate that through storytelling, through communicating your experiences through what's happened, both good and bad?
0: Absolutely, in fact, I, I'm glad you said that because I think it's actually the best way. Uh, in the old incentive world, we used to have one particular situation that served us well, which was that people would have incentives that they earned for a prior year. And then in the next year, they would still be doing activities that were supposed to be credited to the year before because of data lags and things like that. And the years used to cross over. And because of that, everybody's incentives got screwed up. And we screwed it up one year when we were a young company and, and then eventually built business rules and you know, to deal with that. And we used to tell that story all the time. And so, again, it goes back to clutter. The, a big part of the theme, I think, Ryan, against all, everything we're talking about is, is you know, themes and stories. You know, themes and stories are things that people remember. And then they'll find the details, you know, like our car example. So I think the ability to, to we, we had two or three or four, quote unquote, stories like that. There was a Blue Cross Blue Shield health plan that didn't have good tracking and people would fill out cards that said they ran three marathons in a month to earn rewards, wow. right? So we would tell that story. You don't have to tell anything about the technology or about the service or anything when you tell that story because a health plan just goes, I don't want to do that. So storytelling is absolutely critical to it.
1: Now, being an entrepreneur and helping entrepreneurs, let's talk real quick about the proverbial business pitch, the elevator pitch. Now, what are your thoughts on the elevator pitch, the rehearsed you know, uh, 30 thirty-second or less to get your ideas out there? From a conceptual st- concept, is it as crucial as everyone says it is? I don't think
0: so, because if you're talking to somebody about a critical business issue that makes them go, oh, they'll listen for a week. Now, obviously, you don't get a week at first. I think it's, you know, whether it's 10 seconds or a minute, I think it's the ability to make sure that you're always aligning your messaging and your solution to something that's, that is or could be a burning platform for your customer.
1: I like that idea because w- one of the problems I have with the elevator pitch is that it's just so rehearsed and it's not catered to the audience, right? Like if you step in an elevator and you have this like, oh my gosh, here's my and you just spout it out, there's no real tweaking to the person that you're talking with. And so I'm a fan of your ability to communicate in a short amount of time. But the idea of a reversed elevator pitch or rehearsed elevator pitch for me, I guess is a bit outdated. You know,
0: I think if, you're, um, if you were talking, for example, to a pharmaceutical company versus a health plan versus a hospital system, right, your elevator pitch would be slightly different. and So it's your ability to go back to those two things, right? One is the burning platform that you're going to solve or prevent. And how does what you do enable that? Then you can package it up in five seconds or 50 seconds. I know for us, Ryan, um, in the early stages of our company, I have to sit down at the end of the day every day and leave people voicemail messages because right. I didn't want to call them in the middle of the day. Um, I wanted them to get it, you know, first thing in the morning. And, you know, we were calling big, you know, Fortune 1000 companies, and we had a, a callback rate of almost six in 10. And it was, wasn't was an elevator pitch. It was basically, you know, 30 seconds of this is why this is really bad or good for you. <laughs> hmm and it's more of those i think to your point those components being well communicated than it is whether it's you know 10 seconds or 30 seconds
1: i like this idea of a voice message right like instead of like let's take this elevator pitch out for a minute from a technical standpoint if you had a chance to leave a voice message for someone and you only had 30 seconds yep. i think that actually changes the dynamics a bit right
0: yeah, especially because people have so much clutter, and our whole idea was, could we get it so if we left it at seven o'clock or eight o'clock at night, you know, most people wouldn't get it till the next day. Right. And so they, it might be one of the first things they they listen to. I mean, listen, if you don't have a compelling message, it doesn't matter the medium. But I think these days, just like a a face to face meeting and a handshake can mean a lot because nobody does it anymore. <laughs> I think that leaving a voice message that's thoughtful and clear and obviously compelling to their potential burning platform, I think actually can be quite effective.
1: I dig it. I think it's a voicemail challenge. So (laughs) your challenge is to call somebody up that's compelling enough for them to basically call you back, right? Because if they call you back and you've got a six out of 10 ratio, then that's a huge indication that what you're saying, how you're saying it could work. And this comes back to your original concept of leverage, right? Like the ability to leverage the situation. So it's not about what you're doing, It's about the problem that you're solving for the person that you're trying to engage with.
0: Yep. One of my former heads of sales used to say, if Cigna could beat Aetna and we gave them a banana to do it, they would buy a banana. (laughs) Right. And they would pay attention to whether they're buying a banana or a coconut or a grapefruit because you've made it in some way clear to them how your particular banana can make a difference. So I think some of the, uh, Ryan, some of the rehearsal part of it makes us a little bit rote, right? And it makes us not thoughtful about the fact that that if you were to draw a pie chart and you say, how much is it about you and your product and your thing, especially when our things are what we've invested a lot of time and effort and passion into versus what piece of the pie is about, not just their issues, but compelling issues, right? Things that people you know, lose jobs for and get big bonuses for, you know, that kind of stuff. That pie chart should be 90% about them in a very deep way that that causes pleasure or pain, right? And then then we'll figure out what's in the car manual.
1: Right. I like this banana idea. You can sell a banana as long as that banana is solving the problem that that person has, no matter what, <laughs> no matter what it is, right? Yep, totally. Very cool. So let's transition into sort of the the tips and a piece of advice that you have, that have gotten you on a stage, that you've leveraged to, to be able to build millions of dollars in revenue. From a tactical standpoint, everybody has a little bit of a different sales process to get the gigs that they get. So what would your advice be? What has worked for you to turn the key so that now you are monetizing this message? And whether it's monetizing it in the entrepreneurial sense, or whether it's just getting on stage and how those two worlds combine?
0: Yeah, we've been very fortunate to be able to monetize this as it's only a part of our business, but we've been doing it in not only in the US, but in Mexico, Croatia, Dubai, a couple other places. Here's what I would say. Obviously, built into what we do, and I think everybody can take a, a lesson from this, is, is a genuine experience. You know, The way I describe that up and down, Ryan, is kind of off the cuff, and now it's a funny story, and it was the basis for a business. It was pretty crazy at the time. So the fact that it came from a genuine place, and that genuine place is what actually spurred me to do what I do now, which is you know, have the the honor to help people as entrepreneurs try to realize their visions. That I think that you being genuine about it, people, I don't know about your experience, but people smell, especially in this day and age, with all this clutter that's coming through social media, people smell things that aren't genuine really, really quickly, even when they're they're packaged up a certain way. Secondly, what what's gone hand in hand with that with us is that I think that. We, like others, know what it's like to sit in the entrepreneur's shoes and really believe. Uh, in our case, I think what we say is, I don't want to say super controversial, but a little bit against the grain. You know, we, we say things like, you know, passion, grit, and a good idea aren't enough. You've, Ryan, you've heard me probably say that before. Yeah. And you have to improve your skills as an entrepreneur each and every day. So I think for us, the ability to have a genuine background and, and people really understand that we've been in their shoes but then also are taking an approach that might be a little bit different than what they've seen out there. Um, Not just, you know, I have passion and I run into a wall over and over again, but I have to develop these you know individual skills to be able to do it. And I, I hope anyway, that our, not only passion for entrepreneurs, but our genuineness of our mission to be able to say, Hey, listen, if somebody in the audience walked away and that person went back and managed their day better or closed another sale or saved a little bit of money, I hope anyway that that genuous comes through and I think those are the things that have that have led to a little bit of success for us and I think can can lead to success for others.
1: Yeah, that authentic story that really is something that you're selling because the concept that people buy your story not necessarily your product or service. Yeah. And you combine that with leveraging the type of banana that's going to yeah. plug the hole that these people have and I can see that making sense. For you as an entrepreneur leveraging the public speaking Which came first, the chicken or the egg? And how would you see this working? Is it the entrepreneur that becomes successful and then speaks? Or is it that the person speaks, has a platform, and then becomes a successful entrepreneur? Or both?
0: Um, I think it's the second. I think it goes back to, Ryan, the whole idea of this notion of intelligence, right? People might have asked me to speak in, in my old business in rewards and healthcare because we had developed a whole base of experience right? And we would talk about that level of experience. So I think there's no question that you could set out and say, I'm going to be a speaker. And I I guess you could, you know, if you were compelling enough and funny enough and dynamic enough, you could pull that off. But I really think that it's the ability to bring to life your experience, especially for entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs are very quick to see when things aren't real, right? When somebody comes, for example, from a purely corporate environment and plops something on their desk, they can smell it. And so I think, Going through your particular level of domain expertise, right? If you're a chef that's had successes and failures and you're talking about that as part of building your business, there will be people that will say to you, Hey, you've got a lot of a lot of experience. It would be interesting for you to share that with others. And then I think hopefully you bring some entrepreneurism to it in terms of how you package it and sell it and and have people perceive you as you know, as speaking.
1: Do you have a certain sales process that you follow in order to try to get at large conferences or to use the stage for you to better your business? Is there a certain approach that you have that might either be unique or something that someone else can take and mirror to find their ability to get booked more?
0: You know, it, ours is has gotten easier because now we just refer people to other people that have you know, had us come speak and have had hopefully good experiences. But obviously, it's not that way for all of us at the beginning. You know, for us, a lot of our DNA is around, you know, we all share the struggle. And I think our sales process was putting people in a, you know, normal stuff pipeline and building up a base of people that would be potential folks that would hire us to speak. You know, we were very consistent in that message as we're bringing kind of hopefully a different tone to this and a different perspective to this. But I think it's normal, normal pipeline building. And I think you try to really understand, you know, you've got some ones that are kind of bigger ones that you think that would be valuable for you. And sometimes, you know, you make the sacrifice to say to them, you know, we'd be happy to do something at no charge year one, but we'd like to be the year note, the keynote in year two, and here's what we charge. And then you kind of mix that up with smaller ones. And certainly, you know, when our book came out, Ryan, you know, we did... A good amount of, you know, book tours and workshops throughout the country at workspaces and other places to try to to try to get a little bit moment, momentum. But I wouldn't say there's a magic process. I think as long as you're, you know, genuine about what you're doing, hopefully that message comes through.
1: And how was that book experience for you? Because I know a lot of people try to do that, or they do do it and have a, you know, a hindsight is twenty twenty concept. For your experience going through that book and how it relates to your ability to expand your speaking career and your business? How did that all work out? I mean, is there anything you'd do differently? What was interesting about when we
0: published the book was probably two things. Number one, it was incredibly easy to write because, you know, we had lived through this crazy experience. And when you're living through that experience, some of those stories that you tell in the book are torture, right? In our case, this whole market was collapsing around with some things like that. And but when I wrote the book, it was just so, it was cathartic, right, to write and laugh and and see it as an opportunity to, to work with others and help others, things like that. So that part was actually much easier than I had thought. I think we also made the decision to self-publish our book. We were very much focused on having the rights to do things internationally. And so we didn't want to necessarily be, be tied down to a publisher. I would say that with respect to the, the process that we went through, I think that you know, we had written the first draft of the book without an editor and then we brought an editor in later. I think I probably would have brought the editor in earlier just to help you kind of shape things a little better. And I know for me, one of the things that actually came out of the book was given my whole uh, sports background, I had a very kind of boy-centric and (laughs) sports-centric kind of set of anecdotes and things like that. We ended up kind of balancing a little bit more, but I would say probably more so than anything bring in an editor earlier. And listen, I'm a big fan of self-publishing, of owning your content and being able to have license rights and other rights to be able to do that. Certainly publishers can add a lot of value, but I don't think I would have done that differently at all. And it's certainly serving us well, you know,
1: internationally now. Do you have another book that's coming out on the on the horizon?
0: Probably not in the not too distant future. You know, we've been publishing the book. We just published it in Spanish and it's gonna get released in the Middle East and some other places. I think what we do have, Ryan, coming um, is I think I mentioned we, we built this learning community uh, in our learning platform. What we're going to do is expand that to, you know, the Lonely Entrepreneur on fashion and the Lonely Entrepreneur on healthcare and the Lonely Entrepreneur on restaurants. So that's the next kind of foray for our content, if you will. But we've had lots of interest in writing different books for different market segments and different industry segments. So I, I would say that there, it'll definitely happen in the future, but probably not for a year or two.
1: Gotcha. So you seem to leverage social media quite a bit. I mean, that's how we initially met on Twitter. Um, how important is the social footprint for upcoming speakers? And how is that tied into your either development and or increase in your ability to, to book gigs and be seen and get the credibility and all that?
0: You know, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. I think that everybody has the ability to kind of give themselves a presence, right, wrong, or otherwise. So Somebody that has an incredible background. This happens a lot in nutrition. You know, have these people that have multiple degrees in nutrition, and then out of nowhere becomes a food blogger, right? That takes a picture of a couple of dishes on his or her table, and all of a sudden gets huge presence, right? (laughs) So I think that social media, I think, just has to be looked at as one of the multiple techniques of your your overall marketing strategy. And I think the most important part of that is the fact that there has to be a strategy that sits at the center of your wheel and all of these different things like social media become different spokes of the wheel that serve to serve up that message. But if that message is not genuine and clear and consistent and compelling, the medium becomes somewhat irrelevant because there's just so much clutter out there. Uh, I think in particular, for for example, Ryan, the way we met and, and also just for entrepreneurs, Entrepreneurs are out there with their passion, and it's hard. And so they're actively engaged uh, on social media to try to commiserate, find support, get solutions. And so I think for our type of business, it's probably a little bit more you know, important and relevant both for our mission of helping them and obviously for things like, you know, getting more exposure for speaking and things like that. So I think it depends on the nature of the business, but there's no question that it's a significant portion. I just don't think social media is not a strategy, right? It's a set of tactics that should implement a strategy.
1: Yeah, yeah I like that concept that it is, it in itself, it is not a strategy. So I want to know how it works out for an entrepreneur. They are lonely, but is there a certain point? Is there a point where they're not lonely anymore? And are you bringing people in that are at that point that want to surround themselves with a the community and it's it's at that point that they graduate to an unlonely life? <laughs> Curious about that transition, right?
0: Yeah, I think that, I don't know if entrepreneurs ever really transition to an unlonely life. Um, <laughs> I think they can, can transition a more fulfilling and fun life. Um, here's what I would say. What's really interesting, Ryan, about like when we've done speaking gigs and smaller venues, bigger venues, it is just as likely for us to see a 15-year-old as a 65-year-old. Hmm. And while there's obviously a little bit of the middle of the bell curve, I think it's so prevalent here in the United States, the enthusiasm around, uh, around entrepreneurism. We just think that at every step of your entrepreneurial journey, whether you're in corporate America and you're thinking about leaving to do something, right, or you're somebody right out of college or, you know, dot, 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 all the other people, We think that every step of the journey is about incrementally improving skills. Like think about what we've been talking about here, just about communications and speaking. These are skills that make a meaningful difference on your ability to attract investors, attract employees, close sales faster, you know, dot, dot, dot. And so at stage one, right, you might be, how do I set up a company? But six months later, you might be talking about raising money. And a year later, you might be talking about, man, I got to manage 20 people and figure that out. So for us, I think the lonely feeling hopefully gets replaced by progress and progress, not amorphous progress, but, or even just passion, right? Uh, you know, you if you increment, if you hire better, if you make a better decision hiring, you bring in that first employee and that works versus not hiring well, and you just don't develop that skill, that has a meaningful impact on your business. And that's what I think starts to tip it from feeling kind of overwhelmed and frustrated all the time to some of the amazing benefits come that when you you're ultimately able to bring to life a business that's viable and making money and growing and, and stuff like that.
1: I love it. I love the concept that it's really the skills that you have which helps improve everything else and it just gets down to the bare bone basics.
0: Yep and, and you have to improve every day just like a, I always ask people who are mothers for example when you had your first child did you wake up the next day and say i'm awesome at this <laughs> right and or like a a golfer right you have to improve on this and for some reason for a long long time and we thought a lot about this being called an entrepreneur meant you just had to deal with what came right you just figured it out and there was chaos and you had passion and you and you just didn't think of it as something hey you just got to get better and better at and i think that's changed but this whole notion that's kind of just all thrown in there in a stew and you figure it out it's it's about hey, if I know I'm under pressure and I'll hire anybody because I need help, how do I actually do that better? What technique do I use to maybe I bring in somebody like Ryan. Hey, Ryan, will you interview this person because you're not working 24 hours a day and you have no bias, right? So tell me about this employee. And they'll be like, mm. you need this employee to know nuclear physics and they don't know anything about nuclear physics. So why would you hire them? Just little things, little skills along the way that it uh, to me, that's what creates momentum. And that's where you feel like it, when you feel like you're going, you know, kind of, in the right direction, that feeling of loneliness or just the struggle feels like it's on a pathway to success as opposed to, you know, sometimes, you know, feeling like we're in quicksand.
1: Very cool. Well, hey, if somebody wanted to check out and they are a lonely entrepreneur and they want to join this community and they want to get their skill sets better every single day, what's the best place to point them?
0: Well, first of all, thank you again for having me, Ryan. Um, Lonelyentrepreneur.com is the website. There's a free, what we call perspective of the day. So every day you can sign up and get a free tip from us. And then our learning community, which we call the Lonely Entrepreneur Community. There's a big button on there, which is our big learning platform that they can learn about there. And then obviously our social media channels on Twitter, it's the Lonely E and Facebook, you know, the Lonely Entrepreneur. And you can find us uh, Instagram as well.
1: Well, very, very cool. I really appreciate the New York, no frills, down to the basics, <laughs> get some leverage in there back to the skills and i see that sports leadership resonating throughout because in sports you practice you get better in business and entrepreneurship and speaking what i'm hearing is that you practice you get better and the tie-in of it all you got to have a good coach and you got to be there with people who have actually already won to learn what that winning success looks like in a formula format so thank you michael super pleasure hopefully we can share the stage sometime soon and we'll see you on twitter tweet tweet all that good stuff
0: Terrific. Thank you so much for having me, Ryan.
1: All right, buddy. We'll talk
0: to you soon. Bye-bye.